Well, good morning, and I want to thank you for joining us from your living rooms or bedrooms, or maybe you're on your deck out back. It's a beautiful day today. Uh, I am so thankful that you've come uh, to join us as a family virtually, and, and I'm so thankful for those of you that are, are here right now that have worked really hard to make it possible for us to be able to go online and meet virtually, too. Uh, a lot of people put a lot of work into what we're doing today. And so we're going to continue through the, the book of Luke, walking through the book of Luke. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to join us. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19. But before we dive into Luke chapter 19, I actually want to take a minute to reflect for a moment on the passage that Perry read earlier for our, our call to worship. And if you missed that, it was in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And in this passage, Peter is talking to a group of Christians who are going through significant trials and persecution, way worse than what we're experiencing right now. And he says to them in verse 6, in this you rejoice. And he's referring there back to what he just said. He's saying that, look, in your salvation, you ought to rejoice. And he specifically talked about how in our salvation, we have an inheritance that we have to look forward to. We have a living hope. And, and this will never fade away. It will last forever. It can never be taken away. And so because of this, in this you rejoice. And then he says, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And keep in mind, the persecution that they were dealing with lasted for a, a whole lot longer than the season that we're going through right now and the trials that we're going through because of COVID-19. But because Peter has an eternal perspective, he recognizes that any trial that we go through in this lifetime is short compared to eternity. And next, Peter gives the reason for the trials, that, that our pain, there's a purpose behind our pain. He says, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Peter, this is so insightful. Peter wisely reminds them and us today that our trials serve only to refine our faith. Just like gold is refined when it's placed under fire and all the impurities bubble up to the surface when we go through trials, our faith is refined and all the impurities of our hearts bubble up to the surface so that we can deal with them. And so let me ask you a really important question this morning. What has this season revealed about your own heart? And if you haven't done this yet, I would encourage you to use this time where, when we're all under a whole lot of stress and there's uncertainty all around us. Look at your own heart and ask, okay, what does this season reveal about me and my heart? Ask the question, okay, how am I dealing with the stress? How am I coping with it? What, what, what am I overly sensitive about right now? Because those kind of questions are going to help you understand your own heart. I think a lot of us are, are dealing and coping with the stress by just trying to distract ourselves and escape from it. We're diving into Netflix and YouTube and, and screens and looking at the news and social media it's not real healthy. And personally, this is what's been going on in my own heart. As I've seen as a, as a pastor, and I think a lot of my 
my pastor friends have, have they've experienced the same thing. I I went into hyperdrive when things started going chaotic. I, I started panicking and thinking, "Gosh, how is the church going to survive?" I mean, we kind of thrive on having a Sunday morning worship gathering, and if we can't do that, uh, what's going to happen to Mercy Hill? What I mean, all. All the hard work that we've put into the last seven and a half years, what, what's going to happen to it? How am I going to provide for my own family? And I know some of these fears are irrational, but that's just kind of the, the season that we're in right now. But it, it's taught me a lot about my own heart that I still, even as a pastor, have a long ways to go in trusting Jesus to, to be the one who's going to provide ultimately and the, the one that's going to satisfy Ultimately, we still need, and so the passage that we're going to look at here in Luke, uh, it's been really helpful this week because it's been a really good reminder that, yes, I can rest in Christ because no matter what, at the end of the day, He is going to get glorified. In fact, in spite of me, He will be, He will get the glory due His name. And if we're not worshiping Him, the rocks are going to cry out. And so this passage is a really good reminder. I want to go ahead and let's jump to Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. And the context you can see in the the very first verse, verse 28, you see the context that Luke intends us to connect this passage to the passage right beforehand. And so if you were with us last week, last week uh, in the passage right before this, we saw Jesus sharing this parable of of the ten minus. And it was a parable of this nobleman who goes off to a faraway land to receive his kingdom. And when he comes back, some of his servants are very faithful. Some of his people are negligent. And and some of them just outright reject him. And so we see some of this coming to pass in this passage that we're going to cover today. Today's passage is the triumphal entry. And this is a, a very appropriate passage for us to walk through on this Sunday. Perry said, this is Palm Sunday. This is the passage that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. This is Jesus coming into Jerusalem uh, the, the week before his, his trial and his death and resurrection. And so this is the entry into Holy Week. And what we're going to see here is that in this passage, Jesus, the promised Messiah, comes in in a humble way And he's celebrated as king by his disciples, but he's rejected by the religious leaders, the Pharisees in Jerusalem. And I want you to see and notice three things in this passage. Number one, first of all, Jesus always keeps his promises. What happens here in this passage is really a fulfillment of a prophecy that happened over 500 years before it happened. Uh, Zechariah prophesies about this very moment. So we're going to talk about that. Secondly, I want you to notice that he expects his disciples to follow his lead and to obey him no matter how crazy the request is. And so you're going to see that. And then finally, like I said earlier, there's nothing that will get in the way of Jesus receiving the glory and the honor that he deserves. And so let's pray one more time and then we're going to dive into this passage. Father, thank you so much for... uh, for helping me see and, and really be reminded of your sovereignty and that you are in control of all of this and everything that's going on. You are not surprised. You are on your throne right now. And at the end of the day, you are going to be gloried, glorified and honored. And I pray that we would rest in you because of that and you would give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. 
Help us to understand this passage. Help us to see your glory in it and change us and help us to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, picking up in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount of, that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? And you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So point one, number one, again, is Jesus always keeps his promises. Uh, uh, so the, Jesus and his disciples, they're entering into Jerusalem uh, Jesus sends two of his disciples on an errand to fetch uh, a colt, more than likely a, a donkey. And Jesus was, uh, he's either prearranged this or he's uh, just showing off a little of, of his divinity. He, he, he's omniscient. He knows what's ahead. Uh, personally, I, I think it's that. It's that Luke is giving a, a subtle reminder that Jesus is God and, and he knows everything. And that seems consistent with what we've seen in Luke so far, that Luke is making the point over and over that Jesus is not just a a good guy, he's not just a good teacher, he's the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's God in the flesh, he's Emmanuel. And so next we see his disciples, they kind of start this this flash mob, right? Uh, It says the, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with loud voice, for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they're, they're crying out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so they're taking off their coats and they're putting it down before the donkey. And, and it's this big scene. And Luke doesn't mention the palm branches here, but uh, the, the other Gospels do. Both Matthew and, and John mention the palm branches here. And John even goes on, and, and, uh, and Matthew also, to quote Zechariah 9.9. Now, Zechariah 9.9 is significant because it's a prophecy of the coming Messiah. And this is what Zechariah 9.9 says. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout out loud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, as he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And then after quoting Zechariah 9.9, it's interesting, John actually goes on to say that the disciples don't even fully understand what's going on here. It wasn't until after the resurrection that they could look back on this and realize that what Jesus was doing here was fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. 
It was a fulfillment of this prophecy. I mean, think about this. Zechariah wrote this prophecy over 500 years before the triumphal entry. Zechariah foretold that the coming Messiah would come into the city of Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem, and he would be coming specifically on a donkey, which seems pretty ridiculous if you think about it, that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, would be riding into town on a little donkey. But that's what he prophesied 500 years before it would happen. Well, why would he choose a donkey? Uh, It's significant. In the ancient Middle Eastern culture, leaders would come into a city either on a horse or on a donkey. If they came in on a horse, they were basically telling the city that they're coming to wage war. It was a war horse. But if they were coming in on a donkey, they were coming in to make peace. And so Jesus specifically chose a donkey because he was telling them that I come to make peace. And in fact, if you go back to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10, the very next verse of that prophecy, we read this. I will cut off the chariots of the Ephraim and, I, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. And so Jesus is coming to make peace, to reconcile a relationship between us and God. And so you see his disciples saying, Blessed the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so at this point, we've seen Jesus fulfill multiple prophecies in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to see him fulfill numerous more as we walk through the rest of Luke together. And every time you see Jesus fulfill a prophecy, it should be a reminder to you that God keeps his promises. That he is faithful. Even when we are faithless, he is always faithful. And so how important for us right now in this season to be meditating, not on, to be thinking about constantly, not the, not the news and the social media and the reports and the predictions that we have constantly in front of us. We need to be meditating on the promises of God. What has He promised? And so this week when your, your anxiety rises because of the uncertainty of the future, remember the promise of God found in Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This week when you're feeling overwhelmed because you feel like the whole world is falling apart around you, remember the promises of God in Romans chapter 8 where we read, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And why do we know that? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In the midst of our greatest trials, God is faithful. We can trust his promises. And listen, you are going to believe what you think about most during this season. And if you are constantly feeding your mind and your heart the negative news and the, the predictions and the, uh, the st- statistics, if you're looking at those graphs all the time, expect your heart to be overwhelmed and stressed. But instead, we need to, right now, we need to commit 
to make it our daily habit. The first thing we do when we wake up, the last thing we do when we go to bed, numerous times throughout the day to meditate on the promises of God. Now is the time for you to start memorizing Scripture. If you've not done that, hide God's Word in your heart. Study the Bible. Don't neglect uh, getting together with your missional community right now. In fact, if you're not part of a missional community, it's easier than ever. You just click a button, and it's right in front of you. Okay, you, We're meeting on Zoom, and so spend that time studying the Bible together. Uh, start family devotions together. Get to know your Savior and the promises that He had. Uh, take the, the, the thousand mile prayer walking challenge. If you haven't heard about that yet, we've got links that we'll put out again, I'm sure, here soon. Uh, we've got over 600 miles committed to already. And so I would encourage you and challenge you spend time in prayer walking your name. My hope and my prayer is that during this season, that, that we would see a revival like we've never seen in our churches. That, that God would use, and this is, I was reminded of this this week as I was listening to, it was a story of a, a, a revival that happened in the 1700s. And if you look at the, the history of, of the church, every single major revival, there was a pattern. It started with God moving the church to, the, to their knees to depend on Him like they've never depended on Him before. And then from that grew a, a, a heart of repentance and a recognition that we haven't been what we need to be as a church. And then it overflowed into a passion and a love for God and, and, and a desire to see His glory spread. And it began, the church starts just sharing the gospel like crazy, like wildfire. I'm praying that we will see that in our lifetime. And maybe now is the time. And so I would encourage you, pray for revival during this time. Now more than ever is a great time for you to press into your relationship with God. Which brings me to my second point. Your relationship with the Lord is so important. Uh, Jesus expects us to obey and follow him as Lord. The disciples here, they were obedient to Jesus. And they recognized him as their Lord. Now, and if you think about it, those two disciples that he had go on this little mission he was asking them to do some pretty strange things, right? Uh, he, he says, look, I want you to go, and I want you to go into town, and you're going to find a colt there. You're going you're to find a donkey there. It's going to be young, and, and you, you're going to go ahead and unhook them and bring them back to me. And if anybody asks you what you're doing, you're going to tell them, hey, the, the Lord needs them. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking here, like if I'm one of those two disciples, I'm thinking that, uh, really, Jesus, you want me to, do, I mean, what am I going to do? Like, they, they question me, and I'm going to just, like, wave my hand and do some Jedi magic mind trick on them and, and just say, hey, the Lord needs them, and they're going to be cool with that? Right. Um, but they, they don't question Jesus at all. Now, granted, they, this is right after, and it's not in the Gospel of Luke, but, I mean, Jesus has just risen Lazarus from the dead right after. I mean, that's right before this story uh, in, in the chronology, uh, the, the order of the, the Gospels. And so they've seen some pretty miraculous things from Jesus, and so they don't, they don't question Jesus at all in this moment. And because they're obedient, they get to see a pretty cool miracle happen right before their eyes. They get to see a little bit of Jesus' divinity. That, okay, the cult was actually there, and somebody does question them, and they say, the Lord needs them. And they're like, okay. 
I mean, I can imagine, I mean, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool that, I mean, if they lived long enough to see their grandkids, this is a story they'd be telling their grandkids, right? (laughs) Hey, I got to go and get the donkey that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on. And let me tell you how it happened. It was pretty amazing. And you think about it, this is not the first time God has asked somebody, one of his one of his people to do something kind of strange, kind of weird, kind of unusual. You think back in the history of the Israelites especially. I mean, you got Noah. Noah, build a boat. Yeah, you're in the middle of the desert. I want you to build a boat. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Abraham, I want you to leave all your family. I know you're old as dirt, but you're going to have a kid, and that kid's going to have lots of kids, and and you're going to have a huge family. Uh, Go. I'm not going to tell you where to go, but I just want you to follow me. Just go. And then he has a kid, which is a miracle, and then he's like, I want you to sacrifice that kid, (laughs) and he's like, okay, (laughs) and God provided a a way out, even in that situation. Uh, Moses, I mean, he tells Moses, I want you to go back to Pharaoh, back to Egypt, where they think you're a murderer, and I want you to tell Pharaoh, who, by the way, thinks he's God, and I want you to demand that Pharaoh let my people go. No problem, right? And so God has a history of telling his people to go and do kind of these crazy things. And, and you think about it, the Great Commission today. I mean, Jesus has told us to go and make disciples of all nations, telling them to, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and telling them to obey everything that Jesus taught. I mean, you think from a worldly perspective, that's crazy. Okay, that you, we, we're, we're commanded. Think about this. We're commanded and go and... And tell the world that, hey, look, we have all rebelled against a holy, righteous creator God. And because of that, we deserve his wrath because we've all sinned and rebelled against him. And, but the good news is that he has given us a way of escape. He sent his own son, that God became a man. I mean, that's weird, Right? Uh, God became a man, walked on earth, was perfect, never sinned, never rebelled against his father. And he died the death that we deserve to pay the penalty that we deserve. But he didn't stay dead, okay? He rose back from the dead. I mean, this is weird stuff. He rose from the grave proving that he was God, proving that he conquered death and sin and Satan. And you need to trust in him for your salvation. And you need to, you need to repent of your sins and fully rely on him. I mean, this is not an easy thing to tell people. In fact, Paul even admits that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. And that apart from the Holy Spirit giving us a new heart and new eyes, spiritual eyes, we're not going to understand it. We're not going to get it. We're not going to believe in it. We're not going to see the significance of it. And yet God calls us to be obedient to share that message with the world. But here's the thing, when we're obedient to it, we get to see miracles. We get to see people, their eyes open to the truth. We get to see people go from death to life. And it's amazing. And so I would encourage you, don't miss out on the opportunity to be obedient to the call that God has given us. Today, we've, we've got an even greater privilege than what he gave those two disciples to go get a donkey. He's given us the privilege of being able to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to see people's lives transform 
to go from death to life. This brings me to the final point. And this, I, I, this has been the most encouraging part of this whole passage to me, that, that nothing can get, away, get in the way of God being praised and glorified. I love how Jesus responds to the Pharisees here. The Pharisees recognize what his disciples are doing here. They recognize that they, they are praising Jesus like he's God. They are basically saying, look, this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. And they looked at that as blasphemy. This is condemnable. And so they go to Jesus and they're saying, look, you need to rebuke them. And of course, Jesus doesn't respond by saying, okay. He, he responds instead by saying, I tell you, if these are silent, if my disciples are silent, if they're not praising and worshiping me, the very stones are going to cry out and worship me. And this is pretty interesting because up until this point, Jesus has actually been pretty secretive of who he really is. I mean, numerous times after miracles, he would say, don't tell anybody I did that. Uh, after he told his own disciples, his 12 disciples, that he was the Messiah, that he was the Christ, he gave them strict orders, don't tell anybody about this. But now as he approaches Holy Week, as he approaches Jerusalem and he knows what's ahead of him, there's nothing that can stop the praise of King Jesus. If his disciples are silent, the rocks will cry out. And still today, we can rejoice knowing that there is nothing. There is nothing that will stop King Jesus from receiving the glory and the honor and the praise due his name. For 2,000 years now, the church has faced persecution from outside and corruption from inside and it's not just survived, but it's thrived. And it's still growing today. We shouldn't be surprised of the trials that we go through. We shouldn't be surprised of a pandemic. In fact, Jesus never promised health and wealth. He promised the exact opposite, that we would face trials, that we would face uh, pain. But remember, he never allows us to go through anything that he wasn't first willing to go through himself. And so right now, if you're feeling isolated and lonely, Recognize that Jesus understands your pain. When he was arrested, all of his followers, all of his friends ran. They all deserted him. He understands what it means to be lonely. Jesus understands whatever you're going through right now, but he also promises that he will never leave you or forsake you. He will be with you. If you're a believer, he will be with you to the end of the age. He promises that our trials will not last forever. And we know that our current situation is a blip on the screen of eternity. And in the end, he will be glorified. He will be praised. And we will have more joy than we can even imagine for all of eternity because of that. And so let me encourage you, don't miss out on the party. There's a party that's coming. Don't let your friends and your family miss out on the party. There will be a day. In fact, the next time in the, in the scriptures that palm branches are mentioned, it's Revelation chapter 7. Let me start in verse 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and the peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
the next time we see palm branches is on that day when we will celebrate and there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more sin, and we will circle around the throne and there'll be multitudes of multitudes of people worshiping Jesus. That's a day that we all can look forward to right now. And so this week, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the resurrection, and God willing, we'll do it. Many of us, if you're local, you can come and we're going to worship uh, and do it in the parking lot uh, across the street. And I'm looking forward to that. And I, and I would encourage you, um, and I'm going to put out a statement later this week and how that's going to work and how we're going to be safe. But I would encourage you, if you're in this area, don't miss out on that. I mean, I think, I really believe this is going to be a special moment that we will remember for the rest of our lives. And so, God willing, we're going we're gonna to celebrate Easter next week in the parking lot, uh, drive-in service. Uh, this week, as you're preparing for that, meditate on the promises of God. Pray for revival. Follow and be obedient to what God has called us to do, even if it sounds crazy. Let's share the gospel. It's worth seeing God do miracles right in front of you. And let's trust that Jesus will be praised. Let's rest in Christ knowing that at the end of the day, he will be glorified. There will there'll be nothing that gets in the way of God being glorified. Nothing, not even the gates of hell will prevail against his church. And so if you're listening to this from home and you've got questions about salvation and maybe God's working in your heart right now, I'd encourage you to respond and, and reach out to, to myself through, through Facebook or email. You can go on our website, mercyhillshep.org, and, and I, I would love to talk to you more about having a relationship with, with Jesus and what that means and what that looks like even in the, the season that we're in right now. Uh, we're going to move into a, a time of communion here. And uh, if you've got uh, some grape juice and some crackers at home, I'd encourage you to join in with us if you're a believer. This is a time for you to spend a moment just reflecting what is this season telling you about your own heart? What is your, what's being revealed in your heart? It's a time of confession, time of repentance. Uh, it's also a time to remember what Christ has done for us. Uh, Jesus gave us communion during the Last Supper, which we celebrate this Friday. And uh, during that supper, he basically changed all the symbolism that the Passover meant. And he said, look, this wine, this juice, it represents my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And this bread, it represents my body. He breaks the bread and he says, do this in remembrance of me. And so don't just walk through the motions during this time. Take a moment to reflect and to remember. And I would encourage you to respond as God is calling you to respond. And so let me pray. And then uh, our worship team is going to come back up and, and sing a couple songs. And then we've got some announcements at the very end that are really important. So stick around. Hang with us until the very end. You pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for reminding us that, that you are sovereign, that you are in control, and that we can trust you in the midst of our greatest trials. 
Help us to believe that. Help us to meditate on your promises throughout this week so that our hearts would find comfort and that we would feel your presence and we would feel your spirit and we would have a peace that surpasses all understanding and that that comfort, that peace would, would spread. There would be a ripple effect from our church to the nations and that you would revive our hearts to have a passion and a glory for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.